morning we're back um, in our sermon series, Psalms of Hope. And this morning we're really going to go straight to the heart of the matter of the series. In Psalms 42 and 43, I've titled this message, I Shall Again Praise Him, Hope in God's Faithfulness. And the central question before you and me this morning is how do we respond when life feels totally hopeless? Have you been there? Have have you ever felt in your life absolutely, utterly hopeless where you struggled, as the metaphor goes, to see any light at the end of a seemingly endless long, hopelessly dark tunnel. I'm sure that some of you might be there this morning. Again, maybe the the pandemic has you down. That was sort of the instigating factor behind this whole series. The pandemic, I saw a a meme just this past week that said, happy six-month anniversary of the two-week quarantine. Uh, You remember that back in the spring when we thought, oh, okay, yep, maybe if we all just stay inside for two weeks, and now six months later, we've we've got some West Hillians who have literally, you know, not left your your homes for six months watching this, who literally, you know, your your retirement homes um, for half the year. And and what's worse, there's still really no end in sight, right? I mean, still no, no vaccine. Uh, the death count as expected, I, I saw this past week, to nearly double by January. Maybe for some of you, that's what's got you feeling hopeless. For others, maybe it's even more personal. Um, and maybe it's your marriage feels hopeless. I suspect that most of us here who are married at some point in the last six months, six, six weeks, six days, we have experience that hopelessness that comes from realizing, man, we have been having the same exact fight in our marriage for five years, 15 years, 50 years now. Like, God, is this issue in our marriage ever going to get fixed? It's getting harder and harder to see any light at the end of the tunnel. Maybe for you, it's, it's even more personal. Your personal life, you've been fighting and losing the same battle against your flesh, against your sinful nature. You've struggled with the same addiction for years now, the same temptation to sin. God, will I ever be delivered from this sin struggle? Where is the light at the end of this tunnel? Maybe for some of you, if you're really honest this morning, even your relationship with the Lord has begun to feel pretty hopeless. God, are you, are you even listening anymore? Do you even care about me anymore? Are you still there, God? Are you even real? Like, why are you so silent so much of the time, especially when I seem to need you the most? Friends, if that's you this morning, I want to encourage you to take heart. Psalms 42 and 43 are for you this morning. They are the psalms for the otherwise hopeless. And my prayer for you this morning is that you would hear God speaking to you clearly and compellingly through his word, because here's what I think God wants to say to you this morning. The big picture takeaway is when your life feels hopeless, you can trust in my 
faithfulness. When your life feels hopeless, you can trust in my faithfulness. Psalms 42 and 43 are the lament of a psalmist who is struggling to see any light at the end of the tunnel, and yet who in the midst of that darkness has made a conscious choice to continue trusting in the unfailing faithfulness of his God. And in his introspection here, the psalmist expresses three different forms of hopelessness, each of which he is going to confront with a different expression of God's faithfulness. I shared with you that great Martin Luther quote back when we studied Psalm uh, 13 together, that though hope despairs, yet despair hopes. And that is the yo-yo effect, if you will, that we're going to see again and again in verse after verse of Psalms 42 and 43 again this morning. Hope despairs, but then despair hopes. Honesty about the reality of the psalmist's dire current circumstances that he's going to confront with the truth of the hope that he knows he can still cling to in both God's past proven faithfulness as well as his future promised faithfulness. So that's where we're headed this morning. If you would stand with me as you're able for the reading of God's word from Psalms 42 and 43. If you don't have a Bible, the the words will be on the screen in front, but we'd also love to give you a Bible at the info bar on your way out today. Hear the word of the Lord. As a deer pants for flowing streams, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? My tears have been my food day and night, while they say to me all the day long, where is your God? These things I remember as I pour out my soul, how I would go with the throng and lead them in procession to the house of God. With glad shouts and songs of praise, a multitude-keeping festival. Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. My soul is cast down within me, therefore I remember you. From the land of Jordan and of Hermon, from Mount Mazar, deep calls to deep at the roar of your waterfalls. All your breakers and your waves have gone over me. By day the Lord commands his steadfast love, and at night his song is with me. A prayer to the God of my life. I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why do I go mourning because of the oppression of my enemies? As with a deadly wound in my bones, my adversaries taunt me while they say to me all the day long, where is your God? Why are you cast down? O my soul, and why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him and my salvation and my God. Chapter 43, vindicate me, O God, and defend my cause against an ungodly people from the deceit and unjust man. Deliver me, for you are the God in whom I take refuge. Why have you rejected me? 
Why do I go about mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? Send out your light and your truth. Let them lead me. Let them bring me to your holy hill and to your dwelling. Then I will go to the altar of God, to God my exceeding joy, and I will praise you with the lyre, O God, my God. Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him my salvation, and my God. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, this morning, I have to believe that there is someone here who feels hopeless, who feels like they're ready to give up, who feels like they can't hold on anymore, who feels at the end of their rope. God, for that person this morning and for all of us who need to just file this this message, this encouragement from your word away in the backs of our minds, God, I pray that you would speak to us this morning through the power, the authority of your word. Speak your truth into our lives, into our hopeless feeling hearts. We need the hope that comes only from you. May the psalmist prayer here be our prayer. Hope in God, my salvation and my God. Would you be our hope and our salvation this morning? In Christ's name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. <clears throat> Let's begin with just some context we are going to treat Psalms 42 and Psalm 43 as one connected unit for three reasons. Number one, there's the repetition of certain key phrases in both chapters, especially the crucial refrain, that chorus, why are you cast down, O my soul? Hope in God, my salvation. That appears verbatim in both chapters 42 and 43. Second reason is, all of the psalms from chapter 42 up to chapter 49 are titled of the sons of Korah except for Psalm chapter 43 which suggests that it belongs underneath the heading of, of chapter 42 and lastly number three many of our ancient Hebrew Hebrew manuscripts have these two psalms uh, lumped together as one combined psalm uh, Psalm 42 and 43 they begin what we call book two of the Psalms. The Psalms are traditionally divided into five books or groupings. This is the beginning of, of book two. As for authorship, uh, as I mentioned, the superscription reads, of the sons of Korah, which could mean that these Psalms are from them, written by the sons of Korah, but it's more likely it means for them. Many scholars think they were written by King David to be sung by the sons of Korah. We know from 2 Chronicles 20, verse 19, that they were a subgroup of the priests who essentially served as Israel's worship leaders. And so these psalms were written as their hymn book. These are songs. It's called a maskil. The Hebrew word derives from the verb meaning to instruct. So this is a song of instruction, specifically a reminder of what we do when we feel hopeless instruction. 
And as I said, these psalms, they express three types of hopelessness that elicit three responses of trust from us in God's faithfulness. My outline, by the way, I have uh, borrowed, inspired by Christopher Ashe's helpful commentary. These two uh, chapters divide up into three sections. Uh, verses 1 through 5, verses 6 through 11, and then all of chapter 43, each of which ends with that refrain, why are you cast down on my soul? Hope in God, my salvation. And there's uh, overlap between each of the three sections, but if we look closely, I think we can identify three distinct experiences of hopelessness and three specific solutions that the psalmist suggests in response. And so here they are, three points. Number one, we can hope in God's faithfulness when we feel lonely. That is the driving emotion of verses one through five, loneliness. Why? Why can we hope? Because when you feel lonely, you can remember God's past faithfulness. What do you do as a believer when feelings of loneliness, feelings of abandonment start to creep in? You remember God's past faithfulness. Here's how I put it when we studied Psalm 13 together a few weeks ago. Despite our present suffering, we have a future hope that is rooted in God's past faithfulness. I hope you will write that down in your bulletins to come back to later, because that is really Psalms 42 and 43 in a nutshell. Despite our present suffering, trials, circumstances, we have a future hope that is rooted in God's past faithfulness. We, we, we bookend our present suffering, and it puts it in perspective. The psalmist here starts by being honest about his present suffering. In verses 1 through 3, he writes, he sings, As a deer pants for flowing streams, so pants my soul for you, O God. How many of y'all grew up in the early 90s in church singing the Maranatha version of this, of this, uh, of this psalm here? That used to be my jam. As the deer panteth for the water, so my soul longeth after. You remember that? This is, that song is beautiful. It, 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 it's a beautiful, gentle tune. It, it evokes you know, uh, images of a peaceful scene, like from Bambi before his mom got shot, right? You know, where he's this baby deer peacefully drinking from a quiet stream in, in this forest. But that is not the image that the psalmist is trying to evoke here. In chapter 42 of the Psalms, Christopher Ashe notes that the verb for pants in Hebrew is used elsewhere in the Old Testament only in the book of Joel in a terrible scene of dried up streams in the desert. The psalmist is envisioning dying of thirst. Remember, he's, he's writing in the Middle East. This is not some luscious forest. Imagine instead baby Simba right before Timon and Pumbaa come and rescue him, right? dying of thirst, half dead, dehydration, vultures already swarming. The psalmist feels like he is dying in a spiritual desert. He has not experienced, verse 2, God's life-giving presence in far too long. So he cries out, God, my soul thirsts for you. I'm dying of thirst. Verse 2, when shall I come and appear before the Lord? Literally, when shall I see God's face again? Elsewhere, the Psalms ask, God, why have you hidden your face from me? It's the same idea here. He feels absolutely alone, abandoned by God, deserted. 
And so he weeps in verse 3. My tears have been my food day and night. What a word picture. Have you ever been so sad you couldn't eat? Maybe you went a whole day, two days, for you, you wondered, like, why is my stomach hurting so much? Oh, maybe because I haven't eaten anything but my tears and my own snot. Right? Have you, snot on an empty stomach. Can we just get grossly honest this morning? That will make you sick. Have you been there? That's where the psalmist is this morning. And to top it all off, in the midst of his suffering, verse 3, there is apparently some unnamed group of taunters who are jeering at him day and night. Where is your God now? Your omnipresent God. I thought he was everywhere. Where is he now? And the psalmist himself is wondering the exact same thing. Friends, what do we do when we feel that lonely? When we feel that isolated from God, that deserted by Him? The answer is in verse 4. Is we remember God's past faithfulness. He says, these things I remember as I pour out my soul, how I would go with the throng and lead them in processions to the house of God with glad shouts and a song of praise, a multitude-keeping festival. And if we're honest, there's even a certain sadness that comes from that reminiscing, isn't there? Like, have you ever been in the middle of that valley and you need to be reminded that there's still a reason to hope, and so you think back on what it was like when you were in the green pastures. You think back on those happy memories with that that loved one who you've lost, and you're grieving. You think back on those fun, easy, early years of marriage. You think back before COVID shut the world down. Those memories are now colored with a tinge of sadness, aren't they? I remember the summer after we left Culver, the boarding school that I came here from, and I was a wreck because I left mostly kicking and screaming. I loved that job. I loved the people, the students. I would have stayed there forever if God had not had other better plans. But I remember being on our annual family uh, vacation to Michigan and, and feeling particularly sad one day, taking a kayak out on Lake Michigan and just sort of wallowing in my sadness. And I, and I thought back over all of the beautiful, happy memories that we had created over those last five years. And of course, it just made me sadder, right? Realizing I'm never going to relive them again. That that chapter of my life is done. It's closed forever. But in the midst of my sadness, sitting there in the kayak, God spoke a word into my hurt, into my heart, that gave me hope to just keep putting one foot in front of the next through that dark tunnel. What he said was, remember when you felt like this when your dad left in middle school, when you thought you'd never be happy again? Remember when you felt like this after high school as an angsty teenager and your high school girlfriend broke up with you and you thought you'd never find love again, remember 
when you felt like this after divinity school, when you had no job offers, no direction in life, no light at the end of the tunnel. And what did I do for you every single time, Will? Have I failed you yet? No? Then why would I start now? Friends, maybe some of you are here this morning and the enemy's voice has gotten louder and louder in your ear lately. Where is your God? And frankly, you feel like you're starting to run out of answers because you feel abandoned by God. By the way, have you noticed yet how much I've been emphasizing that word? Feel. The repetition in your outline when you feel alone, when you feel I said it last week, but we, we have to repeat it again this morning. Our feelings are fickle, friends. Aren't they? I mean, feelings come and go with the wind. Feelings come and go with the seasons of life. That doesn't make them unimportant. It just makes them untrustworthy. It does make them a really bad choice of foundation for like anything in your life right i mean if your feelings are the basis for your relationship with your spouse you are in trouble those butterflies in your stomach that lovey-dovey like i just want to spend every waking moment with you is there anyone here who's been married for more than like three years who still feels that way about your spouse praise god if you do If your feelings are the basis for your commitment to your job, please do not ever apply for employment here at West Hills. I I, I promise you, as much as I love my job, I love my job as much as anyone. I've got the greatest job in the world. I guarantee you there are mornings when I am not excited driving into the office. If you only went to work when you felt like it, how long would you be employed? So friends, why in the world would we think that our feelings are an accurate gauge of God's faithfulness in our relationship with him? Some of us this morning have really downcast souls. They're in turmoil within us like the psalmist because frankly, we have given more credibility to our wishy-washy, come-and-go, untrustworthy feelings than we do to the steadfast, unchanging, unbreakable promises of God. To quote Ben Shapiro, facts don't care about your feelings. So when your feelings tell you God has left you, you're all alone, he doesn't care, he stopped listening, what do you do? In addition to remembering his past faithfulness in your life, here's a good segue. Number two, you preach God's truth to your soul. When? When you feel overwhelmed. When you feel overwhelmed, You preach God's truth to your soul. What does the psalmist do with his feelings in verse 5? He talks to them. He talks to his own soul, to himself. He says, why are you downcast, O my soul? Why are you in turmoil within me? He preaches, hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. Martin Lloyd-Jones wrote this, so profound. 
Have you realized that most of your unhappiness in life is due to the fact that you are listening to yourself instead of talking to yourself? Think about that. That's profound. Most of your unhappiness in life might be the result of the fact that you are listening to yourself instead of talking to yourself. If we've got a sinful nature, what's coming out of here as opposed to preaching God's truth into our hearts. Friends, we've got to talk to ourselves more often. And the great part about it is you can do it even out loud today and you don't even look crazy anymore because everybody's walking around with earbuds anyway, right? You got your face mask on, they can't even see you. Just talk to yourself. Preach to yourself. Confront your fickle feelings with the trustworthy truth of God's word. Soul, why are you so depressed? Heart, why are you so anxious? Don't you know that if God is for you, who can be against you? Don't you remember that he who did not spare his own son but gave him up for you, how will he not also with him graciously give you all things? Who can bring any charge against God's elect? God has justified you. Who can now condemn you? Christ Jesus died and was raised for you. He's at the right hand of God interceding for you. Who shall now separate you from the love of Christ? We've got to preach Romans 8 to our souls. See, this is why we memorize scripture too, by the way. And it's especially important to preach to your soul when you feel overwhelmed. That's the emotion in verses 6 through 11. Listen to the psalmist's words. He starts in verse 6 with, My soul is cast down within me. Immediately after he's preached to himself in verse 5, Why are you cast down, O my soul? Don't be in turmoil, soul. Hope in God. Instead, I shall again praise him. He turns around immediately in verse 6. It admits, but my soul is still cast down within me. That's really important for us to recognize this morning that remembering God's past faithfulness, that preaching to your soul, confronting your feelings with facts, that doesn't always immediately change your feelings. In fact, in my experience, it usually doesn't. Do you know what I felt in that kayak, immediately after God confronted my feelings with the facts of his faithfulness, yes, I felt a little bit more encouraged. Yes, I felt a little more reassured. But honestly, in the moment, I still felt pretty sad about leaving Culver. Hope doesn't necessarily change your present feelings. What it changes is your future outlook. Listen, if it changed the present, it wouldn't be hope. Speaking of Romans 8, it says hope, is, hope that is seen is not hope. If you can see it, it's not even hope. For who hopes in what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. Hope is by definition not a present tense reality, but a future tense confidence. The assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not yet seen. It's, it's in, integrally related to faith in that way. And the psalmist still feels overwhelmed. 
Even as he preaches hope, he feels overwhelmed. He sings, my soul is cast down in the land of Jordan and of Hermon from Mount Mazar. Geographically, that is about as far north as you can get in the promised land, as far away from the house of God, verse 4, from, from his temple in Jerusalem, and still be in the promised land. And so if this is King David, he's probably writing from exile during Absalom's rebellion. And the point is, he feels distant, as distant as possible from God's presence. And so he sings, verse 7, deep calls to deep at the roar of your waterfalls. Sometimes we, we misapply and misinterpret that deep calls to deep and make it some beautiful promise. Michael Hoodman explains the Hebrew word refers to the deepest depths of the sea. The prophet Jonah used similar language to describe his predicament when he said, God, you hurled me into the depths, into the very heart of the seas, and the current swirled about me. All your waves and breakers swept over me, Jonah chapter 2. But there's another interpretation of the word deep. His soul was in deep need of God. And his need is so deep, he cries out in verse 7, all your breakers and your waves have gone over me, all of them. God, I'm overwhelmed, by the way, by your breakers, by your waves. That's the hardest part about my current situation, God, is knowing that at any moment you could choose to relent. They're your waves, that you alone have the authority and the power over the wind and the waves, over every circumstance of my life. Our God is in the heavens. He does all that he pleases, Psalm 115. God, with a word, with less than a word, you could save me from my despair. Like, do you realize, do you believe that God could eradicate COVID like that this morning if you wanted to? Do, do you believe that God could permanently and perfectly heal your marriage this morning, like that, if he wanted to. That he could cure you of that addiction. That he could remove that thorn in the flesh, that sin struggle, instantaneously, if he wanted to. Why doesn't he? Why doesn't he? Because God's aim in this life is not your happiness, but his glory. And sometimes God gets more glory from proving that his strength is sufficient to sustain you in your weakness. And in the process, you get strengthened too. Your faith, your trust in him, your humble reliance on him and not yourself, that all gets strengthened. It takes genuine, tested and proven faith to be able to affirm verse 8 that even in the very depths of your despair by day the Lord commands his steadfast love I feel like the waves have swirled over me and yet by day I trust that he's commanding his steadfast love and at night his song is still going to be within me a prayer to the God of my life verse 8 reminds me of that beautiful line from the hymn whatever may pass and whatever lies before me let me be singing when the evening comes. Friends, anyone can praise God on the good days, right? That doesn't take faith. But what about on the really tough days? Right? Will you still be praising him? Will you still trust him? That's the kind of faith we want to have. But you don't get it playing in the shallows. 
Where do you find the sturdiest trees in the world? We've all heard the analogy. You've got to look for the places with the harshest weather where the trees have to be sturdy. They have to have a root system as expansive underground as the branches above ground or else they won't survive. And one of the truths that you and I need to preach to ourselves as believers when we find ourselves in the middle of the storms of life is the plain truth that Jesus promised us in this life you will have troubles John 16:33 but he continued but take heart because I Jesus have overcome the world and so the question for us this morning is not will life get tough. God promised that it would. It's not, will you at times feel hopeless? You undoubtedly will. No, the question for us is when you feel hopeless and overwhelmed, when the storms of life come, inevitably, will you entrust your life to the one who really does have the power to calm storms? And even if he doesn't, even if he doesn't choose to calm the storm, will you trust him to calm you through the storm? Will you still be singing when the evening comes? Singing, verse 8, of his steadfast love, even when it feels, verse 9, like he's forgotten you. Will you still declare with the psalmist, verse 9, God, you're my rock, even if I do go on mourning, verse 9. Even if the world continues to oppress me, verse, verse 10. Like deadly wounds in my bones, I'm going to keep preaching your truth to my soul, God. Verse 11, hope in God. I shall again praise him. You're my salvation. You've done it before, and you'll do it again. Lastly, number three, you can hope in God's faithfulness when you feel rejected. That's chapter 43. When you feel rejected, you can pour your heart out to God in prayer. Most of chapter 42 was an internal monologue. The psalmist talking, preaching to himself, but now he turns his focus in chapter 43 specifically to the Lord in prayer. And he says, vindicate me, O Lord. Defend my cause. Deliver me. He turns to God, even though, verse 2, God is the very one he feels so rejected by. It's that yo-yo effect again, that the juxtaposition of hope despairing and yet despair hoping. He says, God, you are the God in whom I take refuge. So why have you rejected me? Why does it feel like you're rejecting me? And yet, I'm still going to hope in you. I'm still going to take refuge in you. I'm still going to trust in you because you're all I've got, God. I have tried building on every other foundation in this world. My abilities, my relationships, my pursuit of happiness, the world's version of the American dream, I have found all of them to be nothing but sinking sand. And so I'm going to build this morning on the only solid foundation I know, God's unchanging character. And even when I feel abandoned, I'm going to remind myself of his past faithfulness. Even when I feel overwhelmed, I'm going to preach his truth to my soul. 
that he's, never, he's promised never to leave me or forsake me, that he's promised to work all things together for my good ultimately. And even when I feel, number three, rejected, I'm going to pour my heart out to him in faith. God, send your light and your truth, verse 3, because I feel like I'm stuck in the darkness with the lies of the enemies swirling. I need light and truth. God, bring me to your holy hill and to your dwelling because I feel alone. I feel isolated from you right now. God, be my exceeding joy, verse 4, because right now I feel rejected. I feel abandoned. But I want to feel exceedingly joyful, and I'm going to trust that if I choose to place my hope and my joy in you, in your unchanging character, in your unconditional, steadfast love, then I know I can proclaim, regardless of the shifting circumstances of my life, that I shall again praise him and be joyful, verse 5, because my hope will be in God. The Apostle Paul wrote, 1 Corinthians 15, that if as Christians we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. Paul watched his friends get drug off to the Roman Colosseum and be eaten by lions for their faith in Christ. And he watched and he said, if your hope is in this life only as a believer, you are to be pitied. No wonder you're so sad, so downcast. But, but, if you know Ephesians 1, the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance, if you've become, Titus 3.7, an heir according to the hope of eternal life, then you can declare with Paul in 2 Corinthians, we do not lose heart, though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day, for this current momentary affliction is preparing us for an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look to the things not that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient. They're fleeting. They're here today and gone tomorrow. Your bank account, your loved ones, right? your feelings, they're transient. But the things that are unseen are eternal. And so my hope, your hope today, doesn't have to waver with the ups and the downs of life because my hope isn't in this life. It's in things unseen. It's in things eternal. My hope is seated at the right hand of God the Father because my hope is in Christ. In Jesus Christ crucified and resurrected. Peter says he has caused us to be born again into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And so let me end there this morning and simply ask you, have you placed your hope in him? If your soul is thirsty this morning, have you tried a drink of the one who offers you living water that wells up into eternal life? You'll never be thirsty again, he promises. You may still feel alone at times. You may still feel overwhelmed at times you may still feel rejected but even when you struggle to find the hope 
to remember God's past faithfulness. And even when you struggle to find the faith to preach God's truth to your soul, even when you struggle to find the courage to pour out your heart to God, you can now trust that God has not forgotten about you because you've got a mediator who, as we sang already this morning, ever lives and pleads for you. And even when your strength fails, even when your grip on him slips, even when you feel like you can no longer cling to the hope you have in him, you can trust in his promise that he will never let go of you. He says, behold, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Never leave you or forsake you. Is your hope in him. Let's pray.